Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. If you've been here the last two weeks, um, we have been in a series on the book of Titus. We were talking about, I was talking to, Rick was telling me whenever um, everyone was coming in this morning, he goes, you know, what did you speak on nine months ago? Because there are a lot of babies around here. And I was like, I don't even remember going through the Song of Solomon, but I might have, all right? So I'm going to have to give you guys a break on that. We're definitely going to stay in the New Testament for a while, because I don't know how many more babies we can take. Glad to see we are fruitful and multiplying, though. It seems to be working out. So um, Book of Titus, again, if you haven't been here, first week we did verses one through four, and it was kind of the introduction after that. Last week we did verses um, five through nine, and that was on kind of the qualifications of leadership. And we talked about that common saying that people talk about, um, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. You guys heard that? It's not exactly true, but it's really rhyming and, and sounds good. And what it means is we use it in the right um, phrasing or in the right um, context. What we mean is you don't have to have a perfect communication um, style or you don't have to be extremely talented or have a great education for God to use you. That's normally the context that we use that saying in. But there are, are qualifications to being used by God, to being put in leadership, and it's being a mature believer living an honorable life. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. That doesn't make you um, fit for leadership or it doesn't make you into a mature believer. We have to make sure that we're living honorable lives. So that was verses um, five through nine. And this week we're doing verses 10 through 16. So we're finishing up chapter one of Titus. And just as... um, a reminder, you know, this is Paul writing to Titus, his beloved co-worker, very similar to Timothy, um, kind of more of a well-known book, very similar to the writing of Timothy because they're kind of tasked with the same thing, to establish elders in the church, to get the church running, and they are beloved co-workers of Paul. So we're just going to kind of start in verse 10, go verse by verse. And again, the goal is for God to speak to us, for us to know scripture well, because the better we know the book, the better we know the author, right? And the goal is to know the author, so we have to know the book. All right, verse 10, sound fun? All right, I'm going to read a New Living Translation. Again, you guys are welcome to read out whatever you want, but it'd be easier to follow if you read the screen, but feel free to read in any translation that you'd like. All right, maybe not any. Some of them are a little bit weird, but anyway, here we go. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true for those who insist on circumcision for salvation. Again, I can never read these passages without wondering, how did they enforce this in their churches? I mean, was there a check at the door? I mean, what was going on? Very odd that circumcision was pushed so hard, especially once you get into the, um, the new covenant. Of course, it's seen as purity and all that we could talk about, but it's just kind of funny. I always wonder, you know, how did they know if someone was circumcised? A little bit weird, right? All right, so it starts off talking about many rebellious people people. Again, the people at Crete, most of them were all mercenaries. They were known for being um, kind of cheats and liars. One of the Greek words for liar was Cretan, which came from, you know, the Cretans. So they were very well known and notorious as being extremely sinful people. And it says many of them are rebellious. And, um, Rebellious is talking about the Greek word means someone who will not submit to God's order of authority. So in scripture, there's um, quite a few passages that talk about submission. Now, many of us don't like the idea of submitting because that means we have to put someone else's will in front of ours. And how many of you guys have figured out yet that we like to do what we want to do when we want to do it, right? 
That's just who we are as um, Americans, as humans. We want to do what we want to do. You guys remember what anger is? You guys remember what anger says? Anger says, I'm not getting what I want because there's something inside of us that wants what we want. So he's talking about the rebellious people that are rejecting authority. Um, God has established an order of authority in several different areas of life. There is an order of authority in the home, in the church, in the workplace, and in the community. God wants us to recognize the areas where he has placed an order of authority in our lives, and he wants us to submit to authority. All right, again, submission is not a very fun word, but it pretty much means to accept the authority or will of another person. So that's what submission means, to accept the will or authority of another person. So James talks about in James chapter 4 that we are meant to submit to God. Again, very easy to say with our mouths, right? Most of the Instagrams across the world probably say God first in them. And like Jesus says, people honor me with, my, with their mouths, but not with their actions. People honor me with their bios, but not with their timeline. It just seems to be a pretty common thread throughout humanity is it's easy to say one thing. It's a lot harder to actually back it up with actions. All right. So as James says, we're meant to submit to God. So what does that mean? That means there might be areas in our lives that we want to do something one way, but we refer back to scripture. Maybe someone wrongs us and we want justice. We want judgment, but then the scripture teaches mercy. So submission looks like, you know what? Even though I want to hold a grudge, even though I don't want to forgive, I need to submit to God's way of doing things, which is mercy, which is grace, which is forgiveness. So it's pretty much just allowing or submitting yourselves to follow God's way of doing things. So like I said, there's a bunch of different areas of submission in our lives, and some of them are easier than others. For instance, when we go to a theme park, we submit to the random Disney workers, right? They're like, this way. And we're like, okay, like we're fine with doing that because we believe that it's probably good to go this way. You know, the bathroom's closed and it's not like we walk up and we're like, I will go in this bathroom, you know, because we'll submit to authority because chances are we probably don't want to go into that bathroom. We go to someone's house and they're like, you know, I'm talking a lot about bathrooms, but we go to someone's house and they're like, hey, bathroom's down the hall. We don't go, well, you know what? I actually want to go in your room and use your bathroom. You know, there's some form of authority in a lot of different areas of our lives. When we walk into someone's house, when we go to work, when we go to a theme park, there's all of these different areas of authority, and some of them are easy to follow. And I notice the easiest ones to follow are the ones that um, don't get in our way. The hardest ones to follow is when a boss requires too much of us and we don't want to do it. The hardest ones to follow are particular laws that we feel inconvenience us. So we want to do what's easiest for us. And this is why a lot of us reject submission. All right. So whether it's at a restaurant or someone's house, there's always some form of submission. So in Ephesians chapter five, again, this is Paul's letter to Ephesus. And he talks a lot about submission in this passage. He starts out by saying, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning when you go to a restaurant, you submit to the people in charge at the restaurant, and that's a way to honor Christ. When you're at Disney and the workers tell you to walk around and it's shorter to go this way, we don't get an attitude. We don't get arrogant. We want to make sure that we're submitting to the people that are in authority because that's the way that we honor God. Make sense? So there's a lot of different areas in our life that we need to learn to submit, to listen to someone else's will other than our own. When we go to work and our boss tells us to do something and we know that there's an easier way to do it, but they just won't listen, we can actually honor God, like the scriptures say, to work for people as though we're working for God. So that form of submission isn't just for making your boss more money, but it's actually for honoring God. So next time you're in a position where you want to get arrogant, where you want to speak out, you have to remember the way that we submit is actually honoring to 
God. So he goes on and says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So again, we talked about in community, we talked about how kind of in culture, people's homes, and now we're talking about in our homes. So submission looks for a wife like submitting to a husband the same way that the church submits to Christ. Now, chances are, if um, you read this in front of a bunch of influencers or in front of um, particular presidents or things like that, this would not be a very popular verse because we can probably look throughout history and see how submission has been taken advantage of. We can look throughout history and see how women were put down. It was almost this patriarchalist society where men rule over women. But in the next passage, it shows us how this is meant to look, or in the next portion of the verse, it says, for husbands, so we see how wives are meant to operate inside the context of marriage. And it says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her meaning that husbands are meant to have a love that is so deep that they're willing to give up their lives for their wife. So that means when submission, again, a wife is submitting to the authority, respecting and honoring the fact that the husband is the head of the household, but the husband is living his life in a way that is constantly giving himself up to her. And the problem is when one person is doing this and the other one is not, it can, end, it can kind of bring a little bit of an unhealthy culture. So we want to make sure that the dynamic that we have in our homes is one that is complete submission. Again, we're supposed to submit to one another, but the husband is the leader of the household. But the husband should be living his life in a way where he's giving himself up for her. There's this really popular phrase, you've probably heard it before. It says, women need love, men need respect. It's as simple and complicated as that. How many of you guys have heard that before? Sweet, I actually have some people. Awesome. I love when you guys raise your hand. So there's been like a whole bunch of polls um, done for like different um, social um, social studies and for different um, books that have been written. And one of the common polls is, if you are forced to choose one of the following, which would you prefer to endure? To be left alone and unloved in the world or to feel inadequate and disrespected? And it's found that the vast majority of men would choose to be unloved and would choose to be respected. And the vast majority of women would choose to be disrespected and loved. Because there seems to be, again, we're talking about vast majorities here. So if you're here and you're different, you're just, um, you know, the unicorn here. And that's fine, all right? But the vast majority of men want respect. And it seems to be there's something that was written inside of us by God where we have this desire for respect and women have this desire for love. And men are meant to fulfill that desire in the woman. And the woman is meant to fulfill that desire in the man. It's this desire for honor, for respect. And then this woman needs to be loved and protected. And that's why marriage is such a beautiful thing. It's a covenant where you actually fulfill the needs and the desires that God gave you. All right. Now, the problem is, is when people take advantage of this. And it's so easy for us to go throughout our lives as a married couple and for you to feel disrespected or for you to feel unloved, right? So I'm going to challenge you guys to do something. And we've talked about this a lot and, you know, when we've gone through the five love languages and stuff like that. But if you haven't read the five love languages, it's like a needed thing, in my opinion, for marriage. You want to make sure that you are able to make people feel loved. Because if you're doing things thinking that someone feels loved and they don't, it's not actually doing any help, all right? So husbands, this is your challenge for this week. Um, hopefully you guys can have a conversation at some point, but to ask your wife, what can I do 
to make you feel more loved, all right? Let's not ask if you feel loved, all right? We'll open that can of worms a little bit later. All right, but let's ask, what can I do to make you feel more loved, all right? And then your job is to listen and to receive, not to be defensive, right? Being defensive comes naturally. We want to make sure that we listen and receive. What can I do to make sure that you feel more loved? Because as husbands, we have to realize this is our call as husbands. Our call is to make sure that our wives feel loved, that we're giving ourselves up for her. All right, you guys think you can do that? Sweet, easy task, right? All right, now for the wives, your task for the week, hopefully you guys can have this conversation, maybe flip-flop, is to get to the point where you go, what can I do to make sure that you feel honored and respected as the leader of our family? What can I do to make sure that you feel honored and respected as the leader of our family? All right, because we want to make sure that the wife feels fully loved and that the husband feels fully respected. Now, again, it's really easy for this to get complicated and for it to be taken too far. And I really hope we're going to use wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully people aren't asking too much or too far. Again, read some books, hopefully get some better insight. Recommended a million times, Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. There's also a book which I have not read in like 10 years. I can't remember if it's good, but it's called Love and Respect. So feel free to read that as well. And again, feel free to spit out the bones and eat the meat. But the goal is, is that we want to be in a covenant relationship to where we feel fully loved and fully respected because when you feel fully loved, you are free to be completely you, all right? We don't want to be putting walls up in our relationships. We want to be a complete unit where people feel honored, respected, and loved. Sound good? So we want to make sure that we practice submission in our relationships, in our community, with our coworkers, with our bosses, and um, Paul talks about, or Peter talks about in a different area, a different type of submission. First Peter 5, 6. He says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God at the right time. He will lift you up in honor. So, we can just see that with submission requires humility, okay? A prideful person will always struggle with submission to authority. Maybe you've met or maybe you've been the type of person that has trouble with authority. You know, they're always speeding, always breaking little laws. When they're at Disney, they can't wait to find a loophole. They're always breaking certain requirements and certain laws. And it's possibly because they have a humility issue. Because the people that are the best at following laws, at following restrictions, at following authority, are normally the people that are most humble. All right, and humility is always the way forward. Again, it's not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. And when we're prideful and when we're arrogant, all we're thinking about is me. How does this inconvenience me? How does this hurt me? But again, the goal of a mature believer is that we put other people in front of us. We want to make sure that we submit to authority, that we submit to one another, that we submit to our bosses, to our husbands, that we are practicing submission in our daily lives. And above all, of course, submitting to God. All right. One other place in, the, in Romans chapter 13 that we can talk about in a different area of submission Verse 1 through 3, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authorities come from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. We are meant to submit to governing authorities, right? Jesus taught this when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We are meant to abide by the laws of 
the land. Many times people don't like doing that, right? I don't know anyone that wakes up and goes, wow, I cannot wait to pay taxes this year. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't want this excess of money. I'd prefer it to go to the government. You know, I haven't really met anybody that does that, but the point is we want to submit to authority. And you can know that there was not a very good ruler at the time that Paul was writing Romans, right? There's a lot of signs that you'll see whenever you're passing by, you know, going down the freeway, a lot of go Brandon type of stuff. All right, how many of you guys know it might be funny, but it's not honoring, all right? We are called to submit to authority. And what that does is it actually does the opposite of submission. If Paul can submit to Nero, the type of person that was killing his friends and co-workers, then we should be able to submit to a political power that we don't agree with. You don't have to agree with them, but you do have to be willing to honor them and pray for them, okay? So we never want to be the type of people that are in my opinion, again, I'm trying to relay what I believe Scripture is teaching. We don't want to be the type of people that are wearing the Go Brandon hats and dishonoring people, even if we don't agree with them. We want to make sure that we honor authority well. We want to submit to authority because we believe that's what Scripture teaches, all right? goes on in the verse and it says, these people engage in useless talk and deceive others, all right? The problem with these people is they make themselves known by what it is that they speak, all right? A lot of times you don't have to hang around someone too long to know that they're not really the most upright character in society, all right? They will, they will um, let you know by the words that they speak, and our talk should honor God. When we hang out with our coworkers and our friends, we don't have to talk about God all the time and thus saith the Lord. And did you, did you read this passage in Hosea? You know, we don't have to constantly be talking about scripture, but what we talk about should still be honoring. All right, we don't want to talk about perverse things. We want to make sure that what we talk about is honoring God. This is basic stuff, right? Basic stuff. All right, moving on. We can understand why it might be difficult for Christians who come from Judaism, why they tend to be a source of trouble in the early churches. So a lot of these people, you know, they're requiring circumcision. Again, don't know how they check for that, but they're requiring it. And it's because they came from a background of all of these rules. And all of a sudden they're stepping into a new covenant where it's not based on restriction, but it's based on relationship which is this huge, massive jump. So they don't know which things they're meant to bring in, which things are affirmed in the new covenant, and which things are fulfilled in the new covenant. And again, we still struggle with this today. We'll eventually do a series just on like old covenant and new covenant and things that were fulfilled and things that um, we still need to practice, things that are affirmed in the new covenant. It's going to be a longer series. It'll be like down the road. But the, Jew, the Jews struggled with this because the pagans, they kind of came into Christianity and they're like, all right, I just pretty much reject everything that I was doing and I follow this new God. But the Jews had the struggle of all of the things that they were doing. You know, we did require circumcision. So they're trying to bring it into the new covenant, not realizing that what makes us pure now is not circumcision, it's not a sacrifice, but it's the ultimate sacrifice that was made. So all of those forms of the law, everything that brought us into purity, those things were fulfilled by Jesus. So it's this struggle of understanding that now there is a new sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that paid the final price. All right, so you can imagine how they might have struggled with this idea and tried to bring aspects of the old covenant into the new. All right, verse 11. We did verse 10. That was fun stuff. All right, here we go. Verse 11. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for money, all right? William Barclay says about this word silenced in the Greek, he says, this does not imply that they are to be silenced by violence or persecution. It became the norm to use this word to mean to silence a person by reason, 
All right, so just so you know, when someone has bad doctrine, please don't beat them. Please don't kill them, all right? We are meant to silence them by reason, meaning if you're going to do that, you have to know the scriptures well, right? You have to know the scriptures well to be able to identify false teaching. And I think probably the problem why so many people follow false teaching is because they don't know the truth. And the reason why they have to be silenced, the reason why they have to be told to, um, you know, what the truth actually is, is because people are being turned away from the true gospel. And the sad truth is there's many, you know, different areas, different religions today that are turning people away from the gospel and they're teaching a false gospel, all because people don't know the truth. At the end, it says they do it only for the money. ESV translates it and says they do it for shameful gain, all right? So it doesn't really just mean money. That's how the New Living translation, but it's kind of more of an um, inclusive where it can mean um, different forms of gain, all right? Because how many of you guys know the vast majority of people that get into ministry, this is not what you want to get into if you want to make money, guys. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but I would not recommend ministry if your main goal is financial <laughs> gain, all right? Now, there might be a few different um, leaders spread out through America that they do make a lot of money through their ministry, and maybe they're swayed by what it is that they teach. Maybe they hold back on certain aspects of Scripture because because they're afraid, if I teach this, I might offend so-and-so. And if so-and-so leaves, they give a lot of money. So in order to protect my income, in order to keep people happy so that I can make more money, I'm going to change aspects of Scripture. Now, that is completely possible. Chances are you've probably seen that maybe through some different celebrity pastors or whatnot. So we want to make sure that it's not about financial gain. It's about honoring God and teaching what the Scriptures actually say. Now, I would say more commonly than um, teaching falsely for financial gain, it would be for emotional gain. Now, I've kind of seen this a lot growing up in church is a lot of people seek leadership based off of the fact that other people are going to look up to me. Other people are going to admire me. Other people are going to listen to me. If I can get this place of leadership, then I'm going to have some form of authority over other people people, and they have this shameful gain that they're using in order to step into leadership. Dr. Perry put it this way. He said, the best besetting temptation of the professional teacher is when he looks on his teaching simply as a career designed for personal advancement or profit. At this point, he is in great Danger. So, of course, whenever we have leaders, we hope and we pray that they're not in it for any type of personal gain, emotional gain, financial gain, but they're in it because they believe that they're meant to teach Scripture. They're not in it for what people can do for them, but they're in it for what they can do for people. Again, basic stuff, but again, we're just going verse by verse, right? Verse 12, you guys good? Hopefully you're not too bored, all right? First of all, it's the Bible, so I don't think you're allowed to be bored, all right? That's like the thing about a verse-by-verse -verse study is you can't really leave and go, well, he was boring because it's like he let, read a lot of verses, you know? So it's like, can I even say that at lunch he was boring? I, I don't think you can, guys. I don't think you can. All right, verse 12. Here we go. Shake it off. We're excited. We're fun people. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Greece, has said about them, the people of Crete are liars. They're cruel animals and lazy gluttons. What a quote, Paul. What a quote. Never seen on a t-shirt, never seen it on a mug, but we will be selling them next week if you'd like to pick them up. All right, so obviously Paul's not referring to this prophet saying that he's an inspired prophet from God, but he's just saying, hey, even this guy, like he got it right, all right? Like they really are, you know, really just in it for themselves. And I think about Titus, like can you imagine you get changed, you get um, brought into the gospel, you're following Paul and you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then Paul drops you off on the island of Crete. 
I would be like, can I please, please go somewhere else, like anywhere but here? Again, we talked about it last week. They were notorious sinners, all right? They had a reputation of being very, very evil people. William Barclay says that no people ever had a worse reputation than Cretans. Polybius, who's the ancient historian, you guys know him, right, Um, was quoted saying, on account of their innate desire for wealth, they lived in a particular state of private quarrel and public feud and civil strife. And you will hardly find anywhere characters more tricky and deceitful than those of Crete. He writes and says, money is so highly valued among them that the possession is not only thought to be necessary, but needed. And in fact, greed and wealth are so native to the soil of Crete that they are the only people in the world among those who have no stigma attached to any sort of gain whatsoever. So it was seen normal and respected to kill people to take their possessions to rape people in order to receive what it is that you want. In that culture, it was just seen as getting what you want. It doesn't matter how you get it. And this is where Titus gets dropped off at. I'm thinking about myself like, are you kidding me, Paul? Like, please take me somewhere else. And the interesting thing is, as messed up in our eyes as these people are, Paul doesn't say, you know, get out of there. Like, get out of there. We're going to go to the Bible Belt where things will be easier. Like, these people are rough. We shouldn't mess with them. Have you heard the words that they say, the clothes that they wear? Like, let's start in the Bible Belt, really build a foundation, and then we'll send out some other people to do the more difficult stuff. He goes, hey, those people that are really immoral, really messed up, don't leave them alone, all right? They're not hopeless. I want you to go and witness to them. I want you to help those people. And I wonder, you know, I was kind of thinking about my own life. The people that I tend to, quote unquote, witness to, the people that I tend to invite to church, the people that I tend to help, are those that are kind of close to my moral compass. You know, I'm like, you know, so-and-so doesn't go to church. They're not really a Christian, but they're a pretty stand-up guy. Like, that's the person I want to invite to church. And a lot of times the person that's so deeply rooted in what we would claim to be evil or immoral, those are the people that we shy away from. Those are the people that we see as almost a lost cause, too far gone. A lot of times those are the people that we want to receive judgment. Those are the people that we're not really interested in witnessing to. They seem too far off or too gone, but yet that's the complete opposite of what the gospel does. Jesus was hanging around, quote unquote, notorious sinners. And to be honest, how many of us have like ever been around a notorious sinner? Like we see someone on, you know, the subway in New York, which is a terrifying place, mind you. All right. And we're scared. You know, we don't talk to people. We get alone. We make sure that we're in our little bubble and we're happy to get back to church where people think like we do. And I'm afraid that church has almost created, which it has, created this bubble culture instead of this apostolic culture where it was constantly going out, constantly creating little establishments of the kingdom in really rough spots. And again, I'm going to ask you, is there anyone at your job that you would consider as too far gone? Is there anyone in your family that you would just kind of imagine as being too far gone? Because I think there's something inside of us that causes us to withhold the gospel, withhold from revealing what it is that we believe, how it is that we live our lives, because we know it's like, you know, why would I bother with them? And I imagine that those are the exact people that God truly wants us to be talking to. Those are the people that God truly wants us to be witnessing to, just showing the way that you live your life, your God-honoring life. Because again, maybe you've heard it, they might be the only version of Jesus that they ever see. You might be the only version. And you have to be willing to reveal that to them. You can't allow their foul language to get in the way of what you're called to do. 
Chris Valentin always tells this uh, story of him told a few times where he was in this bad neighborhood and he was um, working with a bunch of um, kids. It was like an after school type of thing. And he said, these kids, you know, were constantly using the F word. All they did was talk, you know, they had such perverse language. And he said, I almost didn't even want to bring my church friends around them because they like, they couldn't handle it. Like they were constantly, you know, they had this judgmental side of them, almost wanted to turn away. But he said, these were the kids that truly needed the gospel. And if you've heard any of his messages where he shares about this, I mean, he would share aspects of the gospel. And these people that constantly cursed, constantly talked about sex all the time, young 15-year-olds, they would hear the story of the gospel and you could hear their tears hitting the bleachers. And it was because we can't restrain ourselves from sharing what is true just because we view someone as too far off. All right, so we want to make sure that we help people regardless of their background. I know we know that, like we know it up here, but it tends to be that we restrain ourselves when we're around difficult people. So I'm going to challenge you when you're around that coworker, when you're around that family member, actually be intentional. All right, because again, we want to submit to the Father, and part of submission is making sure that we're actually bringing about his kingdom. All right, verse 13. So he says, this is true. Talking about these people are, you know, evil, messed up people. He says, this is true. And he says, so reprimand them, reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. Now, depending on your church background, the word reprimand can sound kind of scary. You're like, I have been reprimanded before and that did not lead me to be stronger in the faith, All right? So we have to remember that all throughout the gospel, we see that we're not meant to embrace judgment. We're meant to embrace mercy and grace, that we're meant to handle ourselves, not where we are looking down on people, but where we look at people and realize where they could be. So like we talked about last week, the call of us as parents is not to make our children happy, it's to make our children successful, right? The goal isn't for you just to make sure your kid's happy all the time. The goal is to make sure your kid is successful. And as mature believers, Titus understood the same principle, all right? He could be a preacher to where his goal was just to make sure when everyone came in, they walked out and they're like, wow, I'm amazing. I'm an amazing person. I'm coming back to this place. He makes me feel so good. You know, like we could preach like that, but the goal isn't just to make you happy. The goal is to make you successful because true love actually doesn't just want to affirm you. It wants what's best for you. All right, so true love is not to just affirm you. It wants what's best for you. And that's what this reprimand is looking at. We need to reprimand people in a way where we can point them towards the true faith, to be strong in the faith. So the um, repercussions of the reprimand was not them running away from church. It wasn't them, you know, feeling judged. It wasn't them looking down on the church. It was them actually entering into a stronger form of faith, okay? So we want to make sure that we don't just neglect, neglect um, pointing out flaws in people, but we want to make sure that we're pulling the speck out of our own eye before we do it, all right? Unwarranted advice is always criticism, so hopefully we're creating relationships to where we can be open with people. All right, I would urge you as a couple, as a friend, have people in your life that can be honest with you. All right, you don't want everyone to be honest with you, but you need someone to be honest with you. Okay, so make sure you don't live in a cocoon. Make sure you have people that you can trust, that you can look up to, and that you can have this mutual form of honesty in your relationship. Because again, chances are you could be deceived about something, but the nature of deception is that you don't know that you're deceived. And I don't know about you, I would not want to spend my life being an arrogant a prideful person, a gluttonous person, a selfish person, and believe the, all the while that I'm walking in integrity. How many of you guys know I would rather, you would rather have an honest conversation with someone? You would rather someone look you in the eye and go, hey, I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to be honest with you. So we have to make sure that we can create opportunities for 
honesty, all right? We want to have good friends, good um, people in the church that we can talk to about our marriages, about our friendships, about the way that we're living, because we don't just want affirmation. Hopefully, we also want success. All right, verse 14. Almost done with chapter one. Three more verses. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Again, these people are caught up in this Jewish type of legalism, and he's making sure that we want to step out of legalism, out of restriction, and into relationships. So don't listen to people that are just interested in restricting you. He wants to make sure that they're teaching relationship. All right, verse 15. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciousness consciousnesses are corrupt. All right, so the point is, Paul isn't saying that everything is pure, meaning like pornography is not pure, lust isn't pure, adultery isn't pure. Like those things are still impure. But what he's talking about is that there are things that people are making unpure. Like in the old covenant, you'd eat something, you'd touch something, and you would be deemed as unclean. And what he's trying to make here is a statement that those things you can enjoy, the things that God made you can enjoy as long as your heart is pure. All right, you can think of um, the Amish. I was reading a bunch of stuff about them yesterday, trying to get Allie to watch a documentary, but she wasn't interested I love documentaries on random religions, guys. That is a pastime that I'm all about, all right? But um, anyway, you know, if you're familiar with the Amish, right? When I was growing up, my mom used to take me on all the tours where I'd go on the horse and carriage. It was fun stuff, right? So they completely, I don't know what you guys did on vacation, but that's what I did. All right, so they completely um, reject automobiles, electricity, um, you know, new type of clothes that come out. And they do this in a way for them, they believe that they're honoring God by doing so. All right. Now, how many of you guys know that owning a particular car can be sinful, but it's because of the heart posture that we have? Maybe we look at our car as a quote unquote idol. We put it above people or we, um, you know, really kind of afford it, but we're just trying to impress people. So there's certain things that we can do in our heart that can take something that's normally pure and make it unpure. And this is the statement that Paul's trying to make here is that things can be pure. Everything can be pure as long as your heart is pure. He's not trying to make a case where every, you know, everything's evil. And there's something inside of religious culture that wants to add more restrictions. It used to be a really popular thing among some churches, maybe still is, where they'd have you as a member sign this document where like you wouldn't wear a particular set of clothes, you wouldn't watch certain movies, you wouldn't go to these places. And it was almost like creating more restrictions in hopes that you would honor God. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All right. So the point is they're creating restrictions in hopes that it's going to create love. And a lot of times we do this with our children. Did you guys ever know the kid in high school that was like, completely restricted and all of a sudden they got freedom for the first time? Did anyone know that kid? And they went off like crazy. Like they went haywire because they finally tasted freedom for the first time, right? Maybe you were that kid. I don't know. But I knew a few of those kids that were so restricted when they finally got out in the open, they went crazy because their entire relationship with what they knew with integrity and honor, it was based off of restriction, not relationship. So we want to make sure that our kids make good decisions while having the option to make poor decisions, right? And again, it's different depending on if you're in the, don't want to go on a rant, but the coaching phase or the cop phase or the counseling phase of childhood, right? We would handle it differently if, our, if we found our eight-year-old watching pornography as we would to our 18-year-old watching pornography. Because when he's eight years old, we're in the cop phase. And when, we're, when he's 18, we're in the counselor phase. So again, the goal is to raise your children in the way that they should go so they're ready for the next phase of life, right? You don't want to be in the cop phase when your kid's 18 years old because eventually they're going to taste freedom and they're going to go crazy. 
all right? And the same way applies to religion. We want to honor and follow God, not based off of restrictions, but based off of relationship, all right? I don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm so upset. I can't, you know, go do adultery or drugs or, you know, all this crazy stuff. So I'm like, man, I hate that I'm restricted by this, you know? But it's because I love God. I want to honor him with the way that I live. It doesn't feel restrictive to be upset that I can't get like passed out drunk every night. Like there's nothing inside of me that wants that because I wanna honor God with everything that I do, all right? And I hope the goal is as we raise our children, not to make sure that they're in such a restrictive home that they can't do anything bad, but the goal is that we raise them in a way to where they don't want to do anything bad, all right? Easier said than done, right? All right, 1 Timothy 4, 3. Again, I'm just kind of showing you that how similar Timothy is to Titus. He says, they will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. Again, there's people that are going to add more restrictions to religion. You have to wear this type of clothes. You can't watch these types of movies. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. All right. Now that being said, we'll jump over to Romans chapter 14, verse 20. He says, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. This is such an interesting passage. Like this is such an interesting passage because the idea is, again, as someone once said, he believes that scripture was written in conflict, so you can't follow God through principle, but only through relationship. All right, I believe that God invited us into a form of relationship because according to this passage, you can drink wine and be completely in, you know, completely in right standing with God, and someone else can drink wine and be sinning because they believe the convictions of their heart is that it's wrong. All right, so we have to be in maturity as believers to where in some of the gray areas, right, not the things that scripture is clear in, but in some of the gray areas, we have to be able to trust one another's convictions. And gray areas, not on things that scripture is clear about. We have to be able to trust other believers' convictions. And we have to make sure when we know, when we can make a good argument based off of scripture that these things are fine and that nothing's wrong with them, we're not trying to convince people, but we're honoring their convictions as well. If someone never wants to watch a PG-13 movie, it doesn't mean that you walk up with this whole debate about why they can. It means that you honor them and you honor their convictions. Go, you know what? If you never want to drink wine, if you never want to watch a PG-13 movie, if you never Never want to wear shorts above your knees, that is completely up to you. We want to honor your convictions about what you believe is right and wrong, all right? Because we can, you can enjoy things, but it's based off of your heart, okay? It always comes back to the heart. Mark 7, 15 says, Jesus said, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you, but you are defiled by what comes from your heart. Again, it's not the car, it's not the money, it's the heart behind it that can enter us into sin. All right, last verse, then we're done. Titus verse 16, it says, Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything. Again, I'm like, Paul, that is very harsh. Like, please tone it down. You might offend someone, all right? You might offend someone. Please use different, different verbiage. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. The interesting thing is this disobedient word, the Greek word is adokeimos, which is used to describe a counterfeit coin. All right, so us as believers, we can live our lives as a counterfeit coin. All right, we can live our lives, and from first glance, from the look, it can look 
it can look authentic, but then the second there's a trial, the second there's some scrutiny, the second there's a closer look, you'll see that it's kind of just counterfeit. Maybe you were just into the gospel because you heard, you know, God's going to make your life better. You didn't realize that he actually paid the ultimate price for you. And it's really easy in our lives to live a counterfeit gospel life where it's just about pleasing ourselves, where it's just about honoring ourselves. And the second someone hurts us or offends us, you know, we don't actually practice what Scripture teaches. We practice what makes us feel good. And in that moment, we practice a counterfeit gospel. And we're made to be authentic in everything that we do. Again, we're all going to fall short. We're all going to stumble. But just like uh, Paul talked about with the um, qualifications of leadership, it's things that you're known for. Your character is known as being blameless. It doesn't mean that you'll never do anything that's blameful, okay? So you might have moments where you want people to be, you know, judged and you want people to, um, you know, pay you back. But the point is you're known as being one that practices grace and mercy. We want to make sure that when people see us, they don't see a counterfeit coin, but they see an authentic um, reflection of the gospel message. We want to be creating heaven on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so another thing, last thing, and then we'll close. Another thing that this Greek word ad okamos can mean is it's used Um, in terms of a stone which a builder has rejected. If a stone has a flaw in it, it's marked with a capital A, or it used to be in ancient culture, for the adokemos, and it's left aside as being unfit to have any place in the building. The ultimate test of life is usefulness, and a man whose influence is that towards things which are sinful is of no use to God or his friends, all right? So we want to be authentic people. God, I want to be an authentic husband, an authentic follower of Christ. I want to submit to you well. I want to love my wife well. I want to lead my children up in the way that they should go. I don't want to come to church and put on this facade and then go to work and act completely different. All right, we want to be someone that is known for our integrity and our, um, the way that we handle our conduct, okay? We want to be good and faithful people. All right, makes sense? Yeah, that's Titus chapter 1, all right? Hope you guys learned something. Again, the goal is to get familiar with Scripture. We want to get you familiar with Scripture because the more you know the truth, the easier it is to discern false truths, right? So I want you to fall in love with Scripture and know it well. All right, so I'm going to pray for you guys, and we're going to go next week. We'll do chapter 2, hopefully learn some more. Again, the goal is to know the book so we can know the author. All right. So God, thank you so much for the honor and privilege to study your word, to know you deeper, God. We ask that you would convict our hearts. We don't want to be those that are deceived. We don't want to be people that live a counterfeit life. We want to be people that truly honor you. We want to be people that are authentic followers of Jesus. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.